This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read is a mile long and growing by the day. One way to cross off more of those titles is to always have an audiobook downloaded on your phone so you can sneak some extra reading in while you're getting ready or cooking dinner. One new audiobook getting rave early reviews is The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer, a big-hearted and life-affirming debut about a death doula in New York City who's been so busy caring for others at the end of their lives that she's forgotten how to live her own until the final wishes of a feisty old woman send her on a trip across the country. The audiobook also includes a special bonus conversation between the author and narrator Jennifer Pickens, which really adds to the reading experience. Start listening to The Collected Regrets of Clover by debut author Mickey Brammer now wherever audiobooks are sold. Welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Kopinski, and today my guest is Jennifer DeLeon, author of the new young adult novel, Borderless. Caught in the crosshairs of gang violence, in Borderless, a teen girl and her mother set off on a perilous journey from Guatemala City to the U.S. border. Jennifer DeLeon is an author, editor, speaker, and creative writing professor who lives outside of Boston. She's the editor of Wise Latinas, Writers on Higher Education, the 2015-2016 Writer-in-Residence at the Boston Public Library, and a 2016-2017 City of Boston Artist-in-Residence. She's also the second recipient of the We Need Diverse Books grant. She's the author of Don't Ask Me Where I'm From and Borderless. Jennifer, welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm so happy to get to speak with you today. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Yes, and it's always nice. I'm also in Massachusetts. I love getting to talk to um, fellow Massachusetts um, folks as well. And I just, I'm really excited for listeners to get to hear more about Borderless. I mentioned before we started recording, I couldn't put the book down. I've really been thinking about these characters ever since. And I think people have a similar experience. It's just a really powerful book. I think it's essential reading for our time and for young people and adults alike, honestly. So can you tell listeners a bit more about um, the premise for Borderless Borderless, and our main character, Maya? Yes, definitely. And thank you so much for those kind words. It's, it's always a little scary when a book launches. So that means so much to me. Borderless tells the story of Maya Silva. She's 16 years old and she lives in Guatemala City and she loves her life. She lives with her mom, who is a single mom. She has her best friend and her new love interest. She attends a really cool fashion school and it she is a finalist for the annual fashion show where she can show her her pieces and she's living her life right she's not really dreaming of coming north and one day out of a series of kind of bad timing wrong place at the wrong time she witnesses an act of violence by a local gang member and the gang member sees her see this act of violence and therefore um, the gang is after her and she and her mother have to make the excruciating choice to leave in the dead of night. They make it to the Guatemala-Mexico border and eventually the Mexico-US border, at which point they hire a coyote to cross into the United States. And I don't want to share too much more um, so that I won't spoil the book, but that's the um, the general synopsis. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, the whole question sort of, of because I think you're thinking this as a reader going along, because we kind of know a little bit that kind of danger is is coming her way. Just the idea of 
when do you kind of make that heartbreaking decision to try to leave? Because she does have this, you know, very full life and this is home and the dream she's pursuing, her friends, her family, as I'm sure so many people face, when do you decide that it's time to leave? And it's so hard to make that decision. And that part of it was reminding me, I've been reading so many World War II books lately Mm. um, for interviews and just that parallel there of like, when do you decide that you're no longer safe in your homeland and when it's the time to leave and, and, you know, I just thought it was interesting that there's still so many that that is still so present in like contemporary life. Right. I just thought that was interesting. And the idea, another, and I, I'm not to, I don't want to bring up too many things I've been reading, but I just, it was making me think of it because in another book there people are turned away during World War II on a, a ship was um, Jewish refugees and they're sent back to Germany Mm, to mm. kind of certain death. And I, I think in present day, people think how, how could the U.S. have done that? And we would never do that. And it's like, we're doing it right now. It makes me so yeah. yes. just, um, frustrated that we think some of these issues are safely in the past and they're not. We're still turning people away to go back to countries where they're facing violence and possibly mm-hmm. death. And I just, um, it's just such a powerful look at the whole process of seeking asylum and people's experiences at the border. I just think it's really powerful and and to walk through someone's shoes experiencing all of that. Is that kind of where this started for you with just so many, you know, really horrifying scenes at the border in, in recent years? Kind of where did this start for you? Yeah, definitely. And I can relate to so much of what you're saying about other time periods in history and other novels. And when we think about World War II or, you know, the Japanese internment camps, like it it feels like, oh, that happened in the past. That was a long time ago. And you're absolutely right that what's happening now at the U.S.-Mexico border, it's it's not ancient history. It's not in the textbooks. It's happening today as we as we record this podcast, you know, and um, I wanted to set the book, um, I wanted to set the story, you know, have it be contemporary, have it be YA, have it be a novel for for lots of reasons. And part of is, part of a reason is, you know, I, I can't always take my teacher hat off even when I'm writing. And it's just a part of my identity as much as it is being a writer. And when I was teaching in Boston Public Schools for almost 10 years, you know, and this is my my 20th year teaching in general, I just feel that stories are an essential way to show students and like you said, even adult readers that these stories again are are occurring right now um, today. And the ability to have readers gain empathy through these fictional characters about real events just feels like magic. Like, and if that's something that I can help propel, then, then I'm all for it. I don't think I'll ever stop writing stories that bring traditionally marginalized characters to the center. And you're, you're right, you know, these situations where you have to decide, like, when do we leave? Today? Tomorrow? Can we wait another week? Will this war end? Will this be something that gets better? You know, the politicians promised. Um, I heard news that, you know, there's a new company coming to town. Maybe we can get a job there. You know, there's all these decisions and factors. And ultimately, people decide to leave 
because they have hope that where they're going will be will be better than where they are. And it has to be an excruciating decision and not not taken lightly. But the story really started for me in 2018. I was super pregnant with our second son, and this was right in the thick of Trump's um, zero tolerance policy, and families were being separated left and right at the border. And I was watching on the screens, and I wanted so badly to march in the streets and go to every rally, you know, but I just, I couldn't. I was about to deliver our son, and that's when I started thinking about Maya and a character who was 16 and who was living in Guatemala. And I imagined like, what would it take for her and a parent to leave everything they know behind, like not even take a backpack, you know, and, and run for their lives? Like, what, what would that look like? And I started writing, you know, these vignettes that became islands that became chapters and became the spine of the book. But I always think that that was my own way of marching. You know, that was, yes, that was what I could do at that time. And it's so powerful. And it's interesting that you have been teaching for so long. I, I could, as I was reading, just kept thinking about what a powerful classroom read this would be or an all school read, even just what discussions would come from it. And I just think taking one person and walking in their shoes on their specific journey Mm -hmm. Um, and seeing all the obstacles they would have to face and, you know, the inhumane treatment she's receiving at the, at the border, like you're Mm -hmm. experiencing that as, as her in the story. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so much more powerful in a lot of ways than just, you know, reading statistics or hearing about this overwhelming situation, sort of looking at it through the eyes of one person, I think can really you know, change minds or, you know, create that empathy that you're um, talking about. So I think that's so powerful. And I wondered, I guess it would have been hard at that point then for you to travel. Did you, um, what kind of research did you need to do for the book in terms of like that process of, you know, we kind of see the coyotes and again, I won't give away too much, but you very much go into sort of almost like the logistics of what would happen for someone trying to flee, um, which I thought was, was really uh, important to to get to read about. So how did you kind of get to learn about all of that? Yeah, I basically did as much as I could from my home in Massachusetts at, at first. You know, I read a ton of books. I read policy papers. Um, and even when I was reading those papers, I kind of gravitated towards the interviews within these papers and and direct quotes from from people who had crossed and and people who are seeking asylum i was just always drawn to the personal you know to the stories and the anecdotes so i just took a ton of notes and i watched documentaries and then i realized that i needed to go to the border and while i'd been there before you know visiting family or you know traveling throughout my life, this would be a different visit. You know, this was not to visit, you know, a family in Laredo. This was going to be going to McAllen, Texas, and specifically visiting the Humanitarian Respite Center, which is a a setting in the novel. And I was able to interview migrants who had recently been released from ICE detention centers and interview them mostly in Spanish, I think actually all in Spanish. And hear their stories. And I 
I just was blown away by the horrific conditions that they experienced, but I was also equally blown away by the hope that they held. And I wrote a, a nonfiction piece about this in Cognoscenti shortly after I'd gone down to, to do this research. At this point, my son was five months old and I went to McAllen for a few days and it was really hard. You know, part of me was thinking like, what am I doing? My son is only five months, like how can I leave? But then I thought there are mothers who are being separated, like yeah. physically ripped apart from their children for and uh, maybe forever. They, some of them have still not been reunited with their children. And I just, I thought I can, I can go away for three days. You know, I can, I can go away for a week. This is manageable. And I just felt really compelled to, to do it. And as you had sort of gathered that research, had you already had the plot and storyline for the book or did some of those interviews and what you've seen really work their way into the story? That's a great question. Um, I think I had the sketch, like I had this, I knew I wanted to tell the story of a mother and daughter. Like that felt like it was, that was kind of, that had heat for me. Um, And I, knew I wanted Maya to be a teenager and I just started kind of inventing her life. But when I went to McAllen, um, that's where I, I was able to like imagine the scenes at the respite center. So all of that came after that visit. I, I didn't know at the beginning what the scope of the story would be. You know, I didn't know if I wanted to start it with her landing in the U.S. and sort of telling the story of her first month in in America, right? Or maybe it was a story that was present day. The entire novel maybe takes place at the border, and then we just have flashbacks. Um, You know, the structure is always a little challenging for me, but once I land on it, then I feel like everything is kind of locked in and I'm able to have fun even writing the scenes and everything but that kind of has to emerge I've tried I've tried to like go in with my agenda and my outline and my plan but um the story kind of laughs at me and usually (laughs) you know says well we have another idea we have other things in store for you yeah I was wondering about the respite center too because it does seem like that's sort of the first place where Maya does start to get some better treatment. And I, I didn't really know a lot about the respite centers. Who, who are they run by? Yeah. So um, I had gone to McAllen on an earlier, I guess maybe a couple years before that visit. And I'd given a reading at South Texas college and an amazing librarian there actually um, was taking me around and, and, I don't know how it came up, this idea of the respite center. And I was so intrigued. I hadn't really heard about this. And so she just sort of, you know, informed me and and was talking about it. And she said, oh, yes, there's one in El Paso, too, and all of this. And so I did a ton of research on that. And I learned that it is a place of respite. It's designed to um, take in migrants who have recently been released from the detention centers and offer them a fresh pair of clothes, you know, a hot shower, hot food, um, toiletries. There are volunteers there that help them make phone calls 
and secure bus tickets or sometimes plane tickets, you know, to, to visit or not to visit, to go meet with their sponsors um, and in different parts of the United States. And for many people, this will be their first time on an airplane. It's, it's the first time that they're in the United States, many of them, you know, and they are, they have children, they have babies, there are older people, there are people on their own. I mean, it's, it, it was so eye-opening and the work that the respite center does is it's just astounding um, how they their goal is to restore um, human dignity it that was just really powerful to read about you mentioned um talking to a librarian on on that trip and um i read a little bit about um, libraries playing a big role in your life and i wondered if you could talk about that a little definitely i mean i i I am a huge fan of libraries and librarians. Um, it, I always say this, but it's true that when I was growing up, we didn't have really books in, in our house until the third grade when I got my first library card. And up until that moment, the, the only books in our house were the Yellow Pages and the Bible. And that's because the Yellow Pages were delivered by the mailman for free and the Bible we got at church. And it's not that my parents didn't value stories, like quite the contrary. You know, it was just that books were not a tangible part of our lives. Um, and that changed um, once I got my library card. I read everything and my sisters did too. And I went to the library. So the library and friendlies were the only two places that our parents allowed us to go, like on our own, because they were right <laughs> down the street. So I was like, great, perfect. So the library was kind of a second home in that sense. And then once I um, was older, I was able to uh, write a lot in libraries. You know, I would bring my my coffee and, and just kind of go sit in the library. And when I was living in Boston, I applied for the Associates of the Boston Public Library Writer in Residence Fellowship, which offers you an office, uh, you know, a room room of your own, a key, and uh, a grant to work on a young adult novel, middle grade novel, or children's book. So I'm super grateful to to this program because that's where I wrote the the first draft of my debut young adult novel, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From. But the library is also the place where my now husband and I had our very first date. And two years exact to that date, we went back to the the BPL in Copley Square, and we had a cup of coffee at the same table, and that's where he proposed to me. So oh, the library, I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. So the Boston Public Library, in particular, is has a very special place in my heart. Uh, and for anyone in New England who hasn't made a trip to the Boston Public Library, you have to go. It's yes, um, it's just also gorgeous, and yeah, that courtyard and mm -hmm. um, the inside. A great time would be to go when they do the Boston Book Festival in the fall because they usually have events right. there, but that's like a must literary pilgrimage, I feel like. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I did want to ask, too, for listeners who haven't read um, your debut, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, that also has such strong like Boston and Massachusetts ties. So for any local listeners, could you tell us about that book a little bit as well? Yes. So Don't Ask Me Where I'm From tells the story of 15-year-old Liliana Cruz, and she is Latina. She is struggling to fit in at her new school. She's part of the METCO program, which is 
a program in Boston that's been around 50 years. It's a school desegregation program. And so students of color uh, are bused from Boston to neighboring white suburbs for a quote unquote better education. So Liliana is new to the METCO program. She's really struggling to fit in. Meanwhile, she has you know best friend drama, mom drama, boy drama, and her father is missing. Although she learns early on in the book that he's not really missing, he's actually been deported to Guatemala. And up until this moment, she had no idea that her parents were even undocumented. So it kind of sets her off on this journey of trying to learn more about her dad, if he's coming back, you know, more about where she's from. And someone at her school posts a meme of her face on a piñata with the words, go back where you're from. And it goes viral and everyone's talking about it. And that's when she really has to decide whether to stand up and speak out or stay silent and do nothing. And again, I won't tell you how it ends, but this is a book I've I've presented at so many schools over the last few years. And it's amazing to me how this particular story resonates with students from so many different backgrounds. And that's what I love about story, about literature, is like you can go a mile deep instead of a mile wide. And what I mean by that is that the the, the universal is in the particular, you know? And, and so like yeah. you were saying earlier, like, like telling the story of Maya and crossing, like we're with her and her mom and through all these ups and downs. And, and that can be more powerful than reading statistics and pie charts. And I think we need both, but... I'm definitely yeah. on the story side. Definitely. Well, and that kind of leads to another question because I was looking on your website and can you tell us about what you're doing with StoryBridge? Yes. Yeah, so StoryBridge is um, a company that I started. Um, it is designed to help groups of people, whether it's schools, um, community groups, companies, um, connect through story. So what we do is we go in and we'll work with a group of people and help them select a story from their lives. And this is a story that can be connected to a major part of their identity, not just race or class or ethnicity, but it can be gender, immigration status, um, their identity as a disabled person, as um, you know, someone who lives in a rural part of the country, so many ways, right, that we can identify. And so we help them hone in on one story that they shape in order to perform on stage. And through this process, um, you know, we guide participants through basically helping them learn how to tell a good story. So they do it for the stage and get to know one another, but it's also something that they can carry forward in their lives. That's so cool. Yeah, I just thought that sounded um, really great. Well, I just always love to end by hearing what authors have been reading for fun themselves lately. Are there any books you'd want to recommend to listeners? Yes. So I recently read um, uh, Patty Park's debut YA novel. It's called Imposter Syndrome and Other Confessions of Alejandra Kim. And this is a story set in Queens, New York, in Manhattan. And it's um, a similar story in that Alejandra is attending a, a um, you know, predominantly white affluent school. And she's kind of code switching, you know, between two worlds. And her her family is Korean, but from Argentina. So it's, it's a very interesting um, 
identity and background that isn't often, I think, if ever um, shown in YA. So I'm, I love that book and, and Patty's wonderful. And a book I'm really looking forward to reading is All You Have to Do by Autumn Allen. And she's also in Boston, in the Boston area. And this book, she also had the, um, the residency at the Associates of the Boston Public Library. And it's just really cool to, to read an excerpt of someone's novel before it's their novel and kind of watch from the sidelines as they work on the draft and revise it. And then suddenly on Facebook, they announce that they sold it. You know, it's just, it's wild to witness that journey, that trajectory. So I'm, I saw the cover the other day online. It's, it's incredible. And I just can't wait to read the finished copy. And that one comes out in late August. Oh, that's exciting. That is cool to get to see. Well, I'll definitely link to those. And then just lastly, I know it's it's early because this book is, is just coming out as we're recording. It actually isn't actually released yet. But is there anything you've started on as, as a next book? There is. Um, I am working on another YA novel. It's actually a historical YA. So I feel like it's a good sign. We started talking about the World War II novels. Um, because yeah. I'm, I've been reading a lot of them as well, and I'm so inspired um, by, you know, classics like Salt to the Sea um, and also um, This Light Between Us by Andrew Fukuda, um, which is a story um, where one character is in the internment camps um, in California, or I think in Utah, and then the other character is in in Paris, um, and then taken to a concentration camp, and they write their pen pals. They write letters back and forth. It's a phenomenal book. But anyway, I was inspired to write uh, historical fiction, and so this is going to be a novel that tells the story of another, um, you know, fiery uh, Latina character. She is uh, Luz Morales, and this is set in the 1960s during Guatemala's civil war. And she's a socialite in Guatemala City, and she attends the university with her twin brother. And she starts to develop her interest in activism, and she kind of has her eyes open to what's happening around the country with the United Fruit Company and the army, the very oppressive army, and what they're doing to entire villages, um, which is genocide, you know, and all to avoid another... um, it's 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 complicated, but all of this war, this war is happening, the civil war, and then she and her brother attend a rally, and he is kidnapped, and she's on a mission to save him, and so in order to do so, she joins a group of female guerrillas, um, soldiers in the jungle, and so the book begins being narrated by a group of young female soldiers in Guatemala. Oh wow! I'm really looking forward to reading that. Is there a like rough? update for that yet or is it too far away not yet um but it's it's exciting to talk about it you know because now it feels it feels real like i better finish it (laughs) well you can enjoy enjoy borderless coming out first (laughs) yeah yeah. well i so enjoyed speaking with you jen and i really hope listeners go pick up borderless at their local bookstore or get in those library holds i'm sure it's going to be really popular And just thank you for taking the time to come on. And um, I really hope that um, also teachers and school librarians pick up Borderless for their um, classroom, libraries, and school libraries. 
Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It means so much um, to hear you say that. And I really appreciate our conversation today. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.